So we're continuing, we're near the end of chapter 20 of the third canto. And um, what happens in this chapter, or what's been happening in this chapter, is that Vidura uh, <coughs> has been inquiring um, from Maitreya uh, and in the first six chapters, and then the first six verses, and then the rest of the chapter is what we might call, what we should call visarga. Visarga means subsequent creation. Sarga means creation, and visarga means subsequent creation. So sarga is, is Krishna's job. It's just like if you have a skyscraper, sometimes we're very like, wow, that what, uh, you know, this, uh, the freedom, t what is it called, the freedom tower? Or, um, or the Empire State Building or, or whatever, and we you know, ask, who's the architect? And wow, or the Chrysler Building in New York is a very beautiful uh, architecture for a skyscraper, so they say, right? So they might ask, who's the architect? But often, it's not very often that people think, where did the supplies come from, right? Where did the steel come from? Where did the cement come from? Where did the intelligence to create the skyscraper came from? So Krishna says in the Gita, uh, in the Gita Bumir apo nalo vayu kangmano budhirevacha ahankara itiyame bhinna prakritir ashtada that he creates, he, does the, he gives the elements for creation. Without those, you can't do anything. And then now we're hearing about what Brahma does. Brahma takes those elements. We sometimes give the example of the... Uh, Legos, takes the Legos and creates something really cool out of them. But, you know, if the Lego company didn't exist, you wouldn't have all these really neat things that are made out of Legos. Right, so that's Sarga and then Visarga. So we're hearing about Visarga. Um, we're hearing about the uh, su subsequent creation uh, by Brahma. And it, he didn't exactly have an easy time of it, as we heard last week. It was not easy <coughs> to do that. So we are on text 44, almost done with this chapter, and then we'll go on to chapter 21. Then Lord Brahma, by his ability to be hidden from vision, created the Siddhas and Vidyad, Vidyadharas and gave them that wonderful form of his known as the Antardhana. One day Brahma, the creator of the living entities, beheld now creator of the living entities has to be understood. He obviously didn't create the soul, right? Krishna says in the Gita that, uh, that the, uh, he says in the next verse, well, he says, prakritim jiva bhuta mahabaho. He says that he's the creator of us. So here it means he's the, he provides through his creation the soul different bodies. Brahma does that. He doesn't actually create the living entity. So just to clarify this. Uh, beheld his own reflection in the water and admiring himself, he evolved Kimpurushas as well as Kinaras out of that reflection. The Kimpurushas and Kinaras took possession of that shadowy form left by Brahma. That is why they and their spouses sing his praises by recounting his exploits at every daybreak. So we, you know, we do this also, right? You, you get in an elevator that has mirrors. What do you normally do? Let's see if it's 
it's okay, right? You know, you check yourself out, make sure you're, you're dressed properly, right? So Brahma also saw his reflection in the water. And, and, and from, but from him, from us, we may take out a comb or Maha Mantra Brew doesn't need a comb. Uh, but, uh, you know, or, or just our tie or whatever. Um, but when Brahma sees his reflection, he creates the Kim Purushas and Kinaras, you know. Um, and in the purport, Srila Prabhupada talks about Brahma Mahurta. This time, what is it, 45 minutes? Hour and a half. Uh, hour and a half before sunrise as the ideal time for spiritual practices, for sadhana. So let's see. Right now, the sun rises at 6.52 today. Okay. So then uh, Brahma Mahorta, according to this, would start at 5.22. Right. Um, and, and devotees are used to even getting up earlier because in order to not adjust the deity's schedules all the time, we just have Mangala Arti at 4.30 every morning, as we know, knows very well. <laughs> comes on Saturdays. Um, uh, but the Brahma Hurta, hour and a half before. So right now, it, it gets um, in the summertime. It, it is around 4.30, I would guess, right? It's around that time. So it's a good time to practice a spiritual, spiritual life. It says here, during this Brahma Mahurta, spiritual activities are recommended. Spiritual activities performed early in the morning have a greater effect than any other part of the day. I mean, it's, it, there may be a mystical part of that, but there's also just a very practical part. There's less distractions. I agree with this, and it has many elements. So what I experienced in my life, uh -huh. uh, I'm coming like, uh, what, 50, 16, 17 years, uh, just before 9-11, I was coming here. Uh, so one thing is that, that vibrations are very special mm. in the morning. And you get to meet very, very good people at that time, very high level. And after that, when I see the people japa, that's a true, true japa, I tell you. I have not seen, I have not experienced anywhere on earth. Uh -huh. And then, sometimes, you know, all these uh, gurus come, and daytime, a lot of people surrounding them, right? So you don't get a time. Uh -huh. But that's a time you can get with them one-on-one. -on -one so there's so many good things. And so many times, like sleet or snow and rain, and you know, when I wake up, I say, really, I want to go or not, debating. But once I come back here and go back, I say, oh my God, I did great, you know, good things. So there's so many elements. In very that. nice, very nice. So there's an advertisement for all of us to come to Mangalai TV Node comes almost every Saturday. Almost every Saturday. Yeah, whenever yeah. I'm here, and yeah. uh, I don't put alarms. And Krishna has invented. Krishna so he wakes you up. up. You know, so I it's come. very nice to be here for Mangala Arti. Um, and I was hearing uh, His Holiness um, Hanumat Prashek Maharaj. He has an interesting take on it. He says that uh, Krishna's mercy is more available than he just woke up, and he had a whole plate of sweets. So he's in a really good mood, you know, and he's a little groggy still. So you, whatever you ask him for, he gives you. By seven o'clock when you come for greeting the deities, he's, you know, he's been around a while. He's got his new outfit on and he's a little more wiser and uh, <laughs> a little more careful about what he benediction with. <laughs> so I don't think Maharaj has like ever missed Mangalarti. Hmm. So, yes. So the early morning hours, um, there you know we know morning is dictated mainly by the mode of goodness, daytime by passion, evening by ignorance. 
right? Um, and we see that, like the, we, we read the chapter earlier in this per, uh, canto about Diti uh, beginning a uh, child, beginning Hiranyakashipu and Hiranyaksha in the evening and at an inauspicious time. So the uh, best time is uh, the morning. Um, it, and it used to be, before the 24-hour news cycle, that you know, even the newspaper wasn't delivered by then, so you really didn't have anything to do except spiritual things. Of course, now with the internet and 24-hour news cycle, there's, you can get distracted even at four in the morning. <laughs> but, and then if you go back even a little further, you know, that's when the milkman came in America. Right? Milkman delivered at like five in the morning and delivered fresh milk, right? Uh, and things like that. Or even in India, that's the time. In the morning, usually when you go out and milk the cows. Yeah, and even I don't. When, when I was living in Brindavan, I don't know. Now, of course, it's it's moved out because Brindavan has become such a congested city. But you would see the cowherd men, or boys or girls, taking out the cows early in the morning to to the pasture. Now the pasture is a uh, ten-story uh, apartment complex, <laughs> right? <laughs> in so many places. But like that. Any, anything else on Brahma Mahurta or the early morning? Yeah, mode of goodness is predominant. Microphone's right there, right next to you. Hare Krishna. Yeah, it's on. Okay, so um, early morning hours of Brahma Mahurta is an ideal time to, um, if we can relate to it, to practice devotional service, ideally. Yes. And uh, because as the day progresses, the, the modes, they transition from mode of goodness to passion to ignorance. So um, whether it's school-going students or professionals or, you know, uh, devotees trying to practice Harinam or do services, uh, morning hours are uh, told to be ideal time yes. to whatever we want to do as a top priority. Yes. Beginning of the day. I mean, the day, the time of day is one of the is only one factor amongst a number of factors that um, uh, dictate which modes of material nature are present. Um, in the eleventh canto, I was looking for this verse yesterday. I couldn't find it. Maybe Jiva knows it, or um, one of the other devotees, Ma Mantra Raghunan, talks about I think ten different factors in the eleventh canto that affect um, what modes affect us. And I know it's one thing is what you eat. What you drink, right? There's a big difference between um, uh, water and Dr. Pepper and Johnny Walker. <laughs> There's a difference between those three. Um, uh, the association that you have, et cetera. Your environment, how cleanly, clean the environment. So there's a number of things. And, and we're also said, although uh, it's, not, it's not either or, morning hours are the best time and Satatam kit, we're supposed to always be remembering Krishna, right? Smarta vya satatam Vishnu. Be smartavya na jatuchit. Always remember Krishna, never forget him. So, so, although one is easier, we can be remembering Krishna at 7 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, right? Like that song, Rock Around the Clock, we can be chanting Krishna's name around the clock. <laughs> and Haridas Thakur, he must have done that because he chanted three lakhs of japa, uh, three lakhs of Krishna's name, every 300,000 names 
of Krishna, so that's 192 rounds. Has anyone done 192 rounds here? No? Basically, there's no time for anything else, right? Because 60, it's basically 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> basically, yeah. You, if you chant a little faster, you might do it a little quicker, but still, it's, uh, <laughs> yes. I've chanted over 100 a few times, but not 192, 108, 110, 108. Yeah, well, you have the name Maha Mantra. You should do 192 every day. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> okay. Anything else on Brahma Mohurta? Okay. Uh, once Lord Brahma, once Brahma lay down with his body stretched at full length. Imagine how big that was. He was very concerned that the work of creation had not proceeded apace, and in a sullen mood he gave up that body too. Remember, the giving up the body was not, it was the subtle. Oh dear Vidura, the hair that dropped from that body transformed into snakes, and even while the body crawled along with its hands and feet contracted, there sprang from it ferocious serpents and nagas with their hoods expanded. One day, Brahma, the self-born, the first living creature, felt as if the object of his life had been accomplished. At that time, he evolved from his mind the Manus, who, who promote the welfare activities of the universe. And this is important because the next chapter gets into the Manus, right? Um, you follow the flow, because if you remember also earlier, here he's saying he's, he's somewhat reaching this level of satisfaction with his service of creation. Um, earlier in, the, in this canto, he had prayed for the ability to do it. Was it this canto or the second canto? This canto. Second? Second canto. Yeah. Um, and he prayed that he wouldn't become proud in, in, while doing that. Yeah. By the way, for those who have attended, I, have, I will have confirmed. I will have the, uh, finally, it's only been a year late, these certificates, they're actually upstairs right now, and Nutamet Prabhu has them, and he has to sign them. Um, but they are, I didn't forget them, I just, Bhagme. Um, the self-possessed creator gave them his own human form, the Manus. On seeing the Manus, those who had been created earlier, the demigods, the Gandharvas, and so on, applauded Brahma, the Lord of the universe. Right? So just like a performer, you know, at the end of a song gets an applause, or even in, in Iskand, someone gives a good class, there's an applause. So after, when he created the Manus, they said, oh, very good, ektam paka, good job, <laughs> right? They prayed, okay, so this, these are the uh, Gandharvas and... Uh, Demigods, yeah. O creator of the universe, we are glad. What you have produced is, very, is well done. Since, such, since ritualistic acts have now been established soundly in this human form, we shall all share the sacrificial oblations. They, they were also looking out for number one, because he created, Manu is going to create human beings who can offer sacrifices to them. <laughs> so maybe their good job was a little selfish, you know, a little self-fulfilling, maybe. Just maybe. Mm, text 52. 
having equipped himself with austere penance, adoration, mental concentration, and absorption in devotion, accompanied by dispassion, and having controlled his senses, Brahma, the self-born living creature, evolved great sages as his beloved son. So he created Manus and these great sages. And the last verse of this chapter, to each one of these sons, the unborn creator of the universe gave a part of his own body, which was characterized by deep meditation. Remember, that means almost like a part of his mind, not literally his body, which was characterized by deep meditation, mental concentration, supernatural power, austerity, adoration, and renunciation. And uh, in the purport, Srila Prabhupada talks, he focuses on renunciation, right? And he, and this is a theme uh, here and also in the next chapter, where he, he just wants to make, he, he's making the point that spiritual life is not cheap. Right? You don't, you don't just, just meditate, of course it's, not, it's better than nothing, but you don't just meditate for 20 minutes a day and you become God, he would, he would say in one purport, right? Um, or, or you can become spiritual, you don't do any austerities, eat, drink, be merry, as you like. You know, like instead of Bhagavad Gita as it is, Bhagavad Gita as you like, right? So, he, and, and he's, he's putting that down. He says, no, you have to perform austerity. He talks about the four regulated principles here. And he says, these four principles are called tapasya, or austerity. And then he gives a positive. It's not only just a negative. I mean, again and again, we hear, don't do this, but then the Shastra keeps saying, do this. And so the last sentence says, to absorb the mind in the supreme and Krishna consciousness is a process of spiritual realization. So ultimately, that's the way to renounce the negative things is by getting a taste for the better things. And that ends that chapter. Any thoughts on this? Yes, uh, Mido. But it's also very slippery, right? Uh, slippery? Yeah, slope. So you have to keep maintaining, otherwise, uh, you know, if it, yeah, you cannot just say, well, I achieved this one. If you don't practice, if you're not surrounding with a similar mind, people, yeah. pretty quickly, you can go down, you know. Yes, yes, because uh, what, is they, what is that saying? Say, fried, fried, pride uh, comes before the fall. So if we think, you know, like, you know that saying in, in, Amer in English, in America, they say, I got this, right? So we think, Christian consciousness, I got that. Now I'll do something else. Yeah, it's, it's not like that, it's a relationship. So in a relationship, like in a marriage, for example, if after, you know, okay, you're married in the first few years, yeah, you know, you really, the wife serves a husband, husband serves a wife, and everything's really going. And then you start taking each other for granted after 20 years or 30 years. And it's just like, eh, you know. Uh, and uh, that can sometimes, or earlier, if you start doing that earlier in the marriage, it can, you know, create problems if you take uh, the relationship for granted. So we don't want to ever take our relationship with uh, Krishna for granted that actually the relationship can be um, ever-increasing. And, 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 and as you're kind of hinting at, you know, uh, it's, it's hard, it's, you don't tread water forever, right? You either go up or you're going down. So we do have to be, as Srila Prabhupada, his words were, make advancement. Be, uh, making advancement. And even Krishna makes advance, you know, they say that his appreciation for the love of Sri Mati Radharani increases. 
increases. So, uh, anandam pudivardhanam, ever-increasing ocean of happiness, of ananda. Thank you for that. Other thoughts on this? Okay, well then let us begin a new chapter, conversation between Manu and Kardama. Uh, so, um, Vidura begins by the first six uh, verses, talk about the lineage coming down from Swayambhuva Manu, because remember Lord Brahma just created the Manus, so now the lineage coming down from Swayambhuva Manu, and really what he's, he's hinting at is he wants to hear about um, um, Kapila eventually, and so we're getting to that, right, because uh, Kardama Muni marries Devahuti, and who's their child? Kapila. And then, then we're going to hear many chapters about the teachings of Lord Kapila. Kapila Dave. So, you know, it's, it's following along. <clears throat> so, first we have those. Then, then the next um, verses from 7 to 13 talk about Kardama Muni's, um, his, that his devotional austerity, devotional austerities, the Lord appears before him. Right? And then after that, there's Kardama Muni's prayers to the Lord. And then after that, the Lord's reply, which I, I don't know how far we'll get. We, we're not, I doubt very highly we're going to get to, this is a pretty long chapter, over 50 verses. So I doubt we're going to get that far, but let's, uh, let's begin. Okay? So, Vidura said, The line of Swayambhuva Manu was most esteemed. O worshipful sage, I beg you, give me an account of this race whose progeny multiplied through sexual intercourse. And Prabhupada is talking, he'll talk about regulated sex life, but he's making the point of, well, we'll see. In the purport says, regulated sex life to generate good population is worth accepting. Actually, Vidura was not interested in hearing the history of persons who merely engage in sex life. You know, everyone does that, who cares, right? right? But he was interested in the progeny of Swayambhuva Manu, because in that dynasty, good devotee kings appeared who protected their subjects very carefully with spiritual knowledge. By hearing the history of their activities, therefore, one becomes more enlightened. So this is a theme that comes up regularly in the Bhagavatam, that just like politics, we're not, you know, devotees, it's hard to avoid it, right? <laughs> Nowadays, the past couple of years, but, you know, politicians come and go, and, you know, red, blue, green, whatever, you know, we, <laughs> um, it's not so much connected with the Lord, but when there's politics connected with the Lord, like we hear in the Mahabharata, Ramayana, right? And then, oh, devotees perk up. So just beginning children, you know, there's seven billion people on this planet, you know, it's not a big deal. But children that are going to um, be great devotees and great devotee kings, um, we want to hear about that. We want to hear about that. So, so that's the Krishna Sambandha. Anashaktasya vishayan yartaham upayunjita nirbanda krishna sambande yuktam vairagya uchite. That real renunciation is not just giving up this world and you know, throwing the keys to your car to, you know, to a homeless person or something like that. It's using everything in Krishna's service and seeing it as Krishna's property. That's real renunciation. So what we're going to hear, and one of the instructions in these first six verses that we see, uh, or maybe a little later, is a Swayambhuva is going to 
um, perform austerities for how, how long? 10 minutes? 10,000 years. 10,000 years. Of course, people live longer. But, and why? What was, his what was his main focus? Yes, he gave good progeny. So, uh, you know, Srila Prabhupada's instructions that devotees chant, he said at least 50 rounds before uh, trying to beget a child. The whole idea here is 10,000 years. Now we're only talking about, you know, 50 rounds or, or more. Um, to get in the right consciousness, because the consciousness of the mother and father at the time of beginning a child draws a certain soul into the womb of the mother. So here, that's an instruction we get from this. Did you grab the mic for a reason? You said re real renunciation is not giving up. <clears throat> it's so, not giving up things that can be used in Krishna's service. I see. Like, because in the kings used to walk away, leave their kingdom and walk away. Right. So that is supposed to be renunciation, right? Or Yes, but they would uh, be very careful to leave it in capable hands. They would give it up, ideally, to practice, to say, okay, so I'm getting towards the end of my life, let me focus on my relationship with God. But they weren't irresponsible. They weren't just saying, okay, well, tough luck, I'm renouncing it, because that would be bad renunciation. But they would make sure that it was left in the hands of, uh, of well-trained, God-conscious, ideally God-conscious people. Yeah. Did you mean something else by real renunciation? No, this is a, it's an important verse. Um, like, uh, uh, to illustrate it, it uh, a story that many of you know, is that one time Srila Prabhupada, our uh, Charya, was um, shown a picture of a yogi who was given a stack of rupees. And the yogi put his hand behind his back like this, like, I don't want, right? And Srila Prabhupada said, you can take a picture of me going like this. I'll take it all, right? Because it's false renunciation to see things that are Krishna's and not use it for Krishna's purpose. It's not ours to begin with. So if we take that money and we use it for our, ourselves, that's not renunciation. And neither is putting your hand behind your back. That's, a different, that's called falgu vairagya. False renunciation. Real renunciation is to take it and use it in Krishna's service. The other example is if you see a wallet uh, on the ground with a bunch of money in it, right? So one thing you can do is say, well, no, I, I'm an honest person, I don't, you know, just walk away. Another thing is, you know, take the money out. What, what most, a lot of people would take the money out and pocket it and maybe a credit card or two and the rest put it in the mailbox and, you know, they can get their driver's license back, you know, or whatever. But the ideal thing would be to take that wallet, find who owns it, and give it to them. Right? So that's, that's the point where Srila Prabhupada going like this with the money. It's Krishna's money to be used in his service. It's his energy. Let me take it all, not for myself, but let me use it in Krishna's service. Is that all right? Yes? In Bhagavad Gita, it's also mentioned that if we cannot totally engage 24 by 7, in devotional service, or if we cannot follow entirely in the footsteps of, uh, you know, those who have that bhakti, pure bhakti. Right. So then we should um, try to offer or help out others who are already doing that. We can help yeah. them or, you know, see what we have and how we can use it in service of Krishna. Mm -hmm. 
So in chapter 12, you know, I'm reminded when you explained that during uh, Bhakti Shastri. Yes. Kind of. I so there's a, that. yeah, it's not all or nothing. There's different gradations. And we're going to actually, I don't know if we'll get to that today, but that's brought up in this chapter as well. Um, right. It's not all, it's not either you're a devotee or not a devotee. There's different levels of devotion. Yeah. The great, the two great sons of Swayambhuvamanu, Priyavrata and Uttanapad, which is basically all the way yet till halfway through the fifth canto, we're going to hear about their descendants and their pastimes, ruled the world consisting of seven islands just according to religious principles. O holy Brahmana, O sinless one, you have spoken of his daughter known by the name Devahuti as the wife of the sage Kardhama, the lord of, created, of the created beings. So you see, he really is trying to get to Kapila. Right? How many offspring did that great yogi beget through the printers? Like, you know, what about Kapila? <laughs> right. um, who was endowed with eightfold perfection of the, in the yoga principles. Oh, pray tell, oh, pray tell me this, for I am eager to hear it. And again, in the purports, probably making the whole point again that Yoga is much more than doing uh, the uh, asanas. O holy sage, tell me how the worshipful Ruchi and Daksha, the son, uh, the son of Brahma, generated children after securing as their wives the other two daughters of Swayambhuva Manu, Maitreya said. Commanded by Lord Brahma to beget children in the worlds, the worshipful Kardamamuni practiced penance on the bank of the river Saraswati for a period of 10,000 years. During that period of penance, the sage Kardama, by worship through devotional service and trance, propitiated the personality of Godhead, who is the quick bestower of all blessings upon those who flee to him for protection. Then in the Satya Yuga, the lotus-eyed supreme personality of Godhead being pleased, <clears throat> and here's where he starts showing him, showed himself to that Kardamamuni and displayed his transcendental form, which can be understood only through the Vedas. Kardama saw the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is free from material contamination in his eternal form. So this is what he saw. Prabhupada makes this point in the purports. Effulgent like the sun, wearing a garland of white lotuses and water lilies. The Lord was clad in spotless yellow silk, and his lotus face was fringed with slick dark locks of curly hair. Adorned with a crown and earrings, he held his characteristic conch disc and mace in three of his hands, and a white lily in the fourth. He glanced about in a happy, smiling mood, whose sight captivates the hearts of all devotees. A golden streak on his chest, chest, the famous Koshtuba gem suspended from his neck. He stood in the air with his lotus feet placed on the shoulders of Garuda. Okay, so now read a little from the purport. The first sentence says, the descriptions in verses 9 to 11 of the Lord in his transcendental eternal form are understood to be descriptions from the authoritative Vedic version. These descriptions are certainly not the imagination of Kardamamuni. And then towards the end of the purport, the form of Krishna 
is described in the authoritative Vedic literature Brahma Sanghita. His abode is made of Chintamani stone, and the Lord plays there as a cowherd boy and is served by many thousands of gopis. These descriptions are authoritative, and a Krishna conscious person takes them directly, acts on them, preaches them, and practices devotional service as enjoined in the authoritative scriptures. So, this is a common theme that Prabhupada is bringing up, that the Vedic literature is not to be taken allegorically, but is to be taken as it is. Again, Bhagavad Gita, as it is. Right? And so th this, there's two words in, uh, that are used in this connection. So here's, if, you have, if you don't know these words, they're good to know. Mukhyavritti and Gonavritti. Uh, Mukhyavritti means the direct meaning, and Gonavritti means the indirect meaning. Okay, so in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Prabhupada writes, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur comments that Mukya Vritti, the direct meaning, is Abhidha Vritti, or the meaning that one can understand immediately from the statements of dictionaries. Whereas Gona Vritti, the indirect meaning, is a meaning that one imagines without consulting the dictionary. For example, one politician has said that Kurukshetra refers to the body, but in the dictionary, there is no such definition. Therefore, this imaginary meaning is gonavritti, whereas the direct meaning found in the dictionary is mukhyavritti. That this is the distinction between the two. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu recommends that one understand the Vedic literature in terms of abhidha or mukhyavritti, and the gonavritti he rejects. Sometimes, however, as a matter of necessity. The Vedic literature is described in terms of Lakshanavritti or Gonavritti, but one should not accept such explanations as permanent truths. Okay, so let's discuss this a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, that's why Prabhupada said the, the Bhagavad Gita, yata, or as it is, because he wasn't interpreting it this way or that way, but just presenting it as it was presented by the great sages. So again, that point that we just heard in the purport, that um, uh, these descriptions are certainly not the imagination of Kardamamuni. So this is what's uh, the, the sense in which the Vedic literature is to be accepted through the uh, direct meaning and not through some kind of allegorical interpretation that, uh, you know, the, what is it? The five Pandavas are the what? Five senses, and Kurukshetra is the body, and, 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 you know, cool things like that. There are times when allegory is being used in the Bhagavatam, and that's, but that's explained clearly when, it, when it's being used. Um, now, on a very high level, sometimes it's not exactly, yeah, um, it's not really called Gonavritti, it's called... Uh, Parokyavad, when someone, when something is something very intimate is being said, you say things indirectly. I think I told you that story uh, that Burijan Prabhu had given Prabhupada a ring. And Burijan Prabhu was in the room, and another devotee, Hari Prabhu, was, I think it was Hari Prabhu, someone was massaging Prabhupada. And the, he saw the new ring and he said, Prabhupada, who gave you that ring? Where'd you get that ring? And Prabhupada just looked up at Burijan Prabhu, who had given it to him, and he just said to the, the devotee, he said, oh, someone. 
right? So, you know, that, that increases the intimacy. There was like an inside connection between them. So sometimes you see that in Krishna's communications with the gopis, that there's this uh, parokshavad. But that's different than, than just kind of taking a, making a mundane interpretation. Yeah, I remember years ago when I was in Detroit, and there was a, there was a class from um, the University of Michigan, which was my, where I had gone to college, so I knew the professor. And uh, I, can, I can still remember, this is like, God, I hate that, it's embarrassing to say, probably 35, 37 years ago. Um, and so it was in the temple room, was, uh, and I was sitting like in the corner, like where the um, uh, Charnamrita is, and someone said, so, are you, you mean you, you take the deities to be God? And I just said, yes. And you could hear the, oh, <laughs> amongst all college students, you know. <laughs> you know. It's not like they're representatives, you know. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but anything on this point about accepting the direct statements of the Shastra? Yes, Raghunanda Prabhu. So I'll just, before you go, so the, the difference between the, the devotee and the mental speculator, mental speculator will read the Shastra and try to figure out if it's true or not. And a devotee, once they surrender to Krishna, tries to understand how it's true. They can still be thinking about it. It's not that we're just robots, but we try to understand how it could be true. Um. It reminds me of uh, what Jiva Goswami says in Tattva Sandarbha, that when there is a direct meaning, then the direct meaning should be taken and not the interpreted meaning. Mm. And when there is no direct meaning, then the That's Sanskrit nice. uh, methodology is to try to see what other meaning could be there. But And he makes a point that many times when there is a direct meaning, these scholars try to come out with an alternate meaning which is to be condemned. It's more fun <laughs> to come up with your own ideas. I mean, it's not that things aren't open to interpretation sometimes. Like the, the word Atma, we know it could mean mind, could mean body, could mean soul. So we may wonder, well, we, you know, which one does it apply here? And sometimes even Acharyas have different opinions, but that's different than just coming up with like a rationalization for something that's really far out and how could that possibly be? Uh, Prabhu, the application of the meaning Contemplation for the application of the meaning, does it come under speculation? Contemplation of the... For the application of the meaning. For the application of the meaning. No, then it could come from Krishna. It depends on what, the, what you come up with. If you, if, you, if you say, okay, so the Shastra says that I'm not my body, um, so therefore I should uh, focus on the you know, on devotional service because I'm a soul and I'm an eternal relationship with Krishna. That's a good application. If I'm not my body, then who cares how, how I use it? And I'm going to smoke three packs of cigarettes a day and drink Dr. Pepper all day. Or what's even worse, um, Mountain Dew. You know, uh, that's, that would be the wrong application. So now uh, I wanted to read. Oh, yeah, Jiva. Hare Krishna. So again, uh, Mukhyavritti is also referred to as a Shabdavritti. And again, it's described that when it cannot convey the meaning of the word, then we should have the reference like a Kavya Shastra, where Lakshanvritti is identified as how, like metaphorically, sometimes things are being explained. And again, Gauravritti, the Gau 
comes from cows. Like sometimes, like Shri Prabhupada used to say, you know, speculation, like, and that's completely mundane. So we should try to avoid that. Go on vritti because that pollutes our mind and help, creates a barrier uh-huh. in understanding the knowledge. And when we have, you know, gyan karma and avritam. So when we are covered by that speculative knowledge, then it's hard to engage in pure devotional service or reach that goal of love of Godhead. Jai Ho. So when I was looking up these two words, uh, I did, you know, you don't have to memorize anything anymore. You just have to have a computer. Uh, so I found this by very interesting, totally different application of the two words in a different context. This is from Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Very interesting. Listen to this. On the other hand, the immediate goal of Mukya Vidhi is service to the Supreme Lord, because, you know, direct meaning, right? Uh, in this major process of activity, there is no intermediate result standing between the means of the regulated principles and the ends of devotional service. So the means and the ends are the same in Krishna consciousness. You, you chant Krishna's glories now, and when you go to the spiritual world, you chant Krishna's glories. Okay. Chanting the glories of the Lord Krishna and hearing topics about him are aspects of Mukya Vritti, since the direct consequence of both is pure devotion. However, if one simply executes the main process of devotional practice in relationship to Krishna, but neglects secondary regulations, he will not be able to fulfill the needs of the body, and thus it will be impossible for him to maintain his body. How can one adopt Mukya Vritti, direct devotional service to the Lord, if he cannot even keep his body and soul together. The gist of Gonavidhi there then is that by diligent application of all types of education, art, industry, etiquette, and orderliness, which are prime assets of human life, and by also taking to heart bodily, mental, and social regulations, one can honestly maintain his livelihood and thus facilitate his service to the Lord's lotus feet. When Gona Vidhi is actually carried to its complete fructification, it becomes the assistant of Mukya Vidhi and helps make human existence fully ecstatic with the nectar found at the Lord's lotus feet. So unless, so this is that point that unless you're on the topmost levels, you have to take consideration, you know, um, Besides your mental uh, satisfaction, your physical satisfaction, your social satisfaction, not only your spiritual. But you can take the other, those others um, and connect them with the spiritual. So you can be healthy, right? Um, you know, um, eating a lot of quinoa or whatever, you know, and offer it to Krishna. So then you're connecting the bodily needs with, with, with Krishna consciousness. So you can be social. Right, um, but your social intercourse is mainly with uh, people who are like-minded people and devotees. Right? And you can have an intellectual stimulation, and then you apply that intellectual stimulation to Krishna consciousness. But uh, I thought this was interesting because uh, he's really saying, you know, okay, Mukhya um, Vridi, you know, direct devotional service is is the focus. But if you don't take care of this other stuff, good luck. Um, when Prabhupada was in, 
I think it was Thailand, but I'm not sure, but he saw people going through the garbage to find something to eat. And he said that, you know, if you can't satisfy your basic bodily needs, how will you focus on God? You'll just be trying to, you know, get something in your belly. So these other things are there, and most people, of course, you know, not most, but many people fulfill these needs in, not, in ways that aren't um, connected with their spiritual essence. So a devotee is meant to fill those needs and find a way to find, again, that Krishna Sambandha, the relationship with Krishna. Right. So we do have a need for social, social ability. So, you know, invite devotees over to your house or something like that, or have women's groups or whatever, right? Um, men's groups, you know, somehow come together. And uh, we used to have a men's group in, um, when I was in Vrindavan. We'd meet every uh, week and do stuff together. Go milk some cows or something. You know, in Vrindavan, it's different than in the West. <laughs> uh, any thoughts on this point? Yeah, Jeeva? Hare Krishna. Uh, so again, it's very important for us to avoid that speculative and actually go to the right source or someone who has been with the right source. Again, uh, like you explained, I'm reminded of an incident that I wanted to share. And actually, it connects this uh, concept of mukhivriti and gaunviti with uh, you know, renunciation, proper renunciation. When it so happened that when Srila Prabhupada was on a walk, uh, his grace, uh, Gurudas Prabhu, he came running barefoot. So Prabhupada asked him, why are you barefoot? So he said, I'm performing sacrifice. And Prabhupada's instant response was, then you can cut your throat as well. That's also sacrifice. No, our sacrifice is to chant Hare Krishna Mahamantra. Yeah. So that is realigning to what is our sacrifice and not to give bodily pain to ourselves, just thinking that that's mundane concept. That right. doesn't please Krishna. That actually makes Krishna a little sad because, you know, the strength that we have, we're actually losing it. We are giving trouble to our body like Hinakashipu did. Then, you know, 100 divine years he spent in doing that tapasya, which was just giving trouble to the body to seek some, you know, purpose. Yeah, I mean, just the four regular principles are enough austerity. I used to have misunderstanding. When I was a brahmachari, I remember in Detroit, in the cold winter, snow piled high, and I thought I was really being Krishna conscious by taking out the garbage barefoot. <laughs> you know, like, not very bright. <laughs> like that. That's good austerity. So doing austerities, giving bodily discomfort, example, Govardhan Parikrama barefoot, versus wearing footwear. I mean, you have been there for a very long time. Can you share something? I mean, what is your well, realization? It's, a lot of it's practical, you know. Um, but we, I mean, much harder austerities. If you think about austerities, is like what Krishna mentions in 17th chapter. Austerities of speech, right? Is to, to speak words that are pleasing, right? And to recite the Vedic literature and to not offend others. That's, you know, do, we should work on that instead of barefoot, you know, this or, I mean, you know, there, there's, what is it, the, there's, uh, there's austerities of the mind, the body, and, and speech, yes, yeah. So, um, if you can do parikrama barefoot, that's fine. If you're going to, you know, um, get 
10,000, you know, thorns in your feet and you can't move for the next three weeks. You know, uh, that, that's a uh, different story. It's, it's, it's a practical thing. We, you know, we can sometimes push our bodies and we realize later, oh, that wasn't so hard. This is like fasting um, um, for a codice, right, or janmastami. Right? It's really hard to do just once a year fast and janmastami, so, you know. But if your body gets used to it, it's actually not, it's actually not hard for most people, it depends on your bodily nature and if you're feels physically well or not. It's actually not hard to do even near gel if you get used to it. If your body gets used to it every two weeks, you, do, you know, near gel means not even any water, right? The first time you do it, it's like, oh my God, you know, right? Um, it's just like uh, I have a friend who um, had surgery recently and he was very used to going to Starbucks every day and having a, a venti a latte with caffeine and couldn't have any caffeine for two weeks before the surgery in the first three days, such intense headaches. And after that, body got used to it and now the surgery is over and he stopped caffeine because he just realized he didn't need it. So sometimes it's hard sometimes in the beginning so the body gets a little used to things. So it's practical and, you know, depending on our age and... And, you know, Srila Prabhupada on, on fasting days would take some fruit. I mean, he was 75 years old. <laughs> you know, uh, things, things like that. So, um, <clears throat> we, it's good to push ourselves a little bit, right? Right, there's the comfort zone and the stress zone, and then in between those is the stretch zone. So we should be stretching ourselves uh, a bit, but not doing things that are you know, going to end up you know, sick for a few weeks at a time like that. But um, we'd be surprised what the body can get used to also. But the harder thing is the austerities of the mind and the austerities of speech. That's, that's the real uh, tough ones. Is that all right? Yeah? Anything else on austerities? Yes, Boo. So on austerities that uh, you mentioned that physically capable for some people and not capable. Yeah. So, so similarly, like mentally capable and not capable. So um, if I'm capable of one certain aspect and I want to serve the Lord in that way and I'm not capable of mentally, like, you know, uh, not reading too much amount of Shastra or like um, going in that aspect, um, is there is a difference that okay, is this austerity is best and this austerity is best? Or is there is anything best uh, that we should see that like whatever we, whatever I'm, I can able to do and I'm able to serve and I can feel some happiness? Uh, is that the um, right approach or like, um, you know, there are so many austerities, right? So I can participate only a few of them. So how I can judge myself, um, my austerity is right. Um, Usually by consulting with others, you know, um, we, we, have, we know that um, after you've done an austerity, you usually feel good, right? Because uh, happiness in the mode of goodness is poison in the beginning, but nectar in the end, right? So, it, you know, um, but consulting with others is, uh, is, is a good thing to do. Uh, you know, we, it's, if we can do things that help us get out of the bodily concept of life a little bit, it's it's not a bad thing, but the but even like for example, the in ekadasi, 
right? So the, so the best thing to do Kadasi is nirjal, right? Don't drink anything, don't eat, right? But Srila Prabhupada said that if you're, if you're thinking about, oh, I'm so hungry, oh, I'm so thirsty, right? The whole idea of the is that you have more time to remember Govinda. So if you're just thinking about your stomach all day long, that is not a good, you know, go have some fruit, you know, or, you know, or, or whatever, and, and pick up your beads, <laughs> you know. So it's a, it's a practical thing. Prabhupada told Bari Prabhu that, that is a practical, you know, you have to be, you have to be practical. Utility is a principle, yes. My mantra? Um, I recently heard uh, in a lecture that Brahma makes this body, you know, suitable to take on devotional services. Mm -hmm. yeah, but it doesn't mean that like you torture it. It doesn't mean that you torture it, but... You What's that word? Torture. Torture, yes. Yeah. You don't want to torture it, yes. Uh, but it gets used for the extra mile when yeah. we use it in Krishna's service. And yeah, I mean, if we, can, if we can follow the four regular principles, that's, that's austere. If we can get up at Man, uh, for Marma Mahorta, that's a really good austerity. If we can try not to offend people, that's a maha austerity. Those, that alone we did doing pretty well. <laughs> like that. Okay, shall we go on? But it was interesting, this, this point, that I thought this was really interesting, what Bhaktivinoda Thakur said about, uh, um, uh, about Gona Vritti uh, in Vidhi, in this sense, and he even says education, art, industry, etiquette, orderliness, right? Uh, bodily, mental, and social regulations. Maintaining a livelihood that, uh, that these should help, that can help facilitate our service to the Lord's lotus feet. Right? So if we do all of those, but we don't do Krishna consciousness, that's shrama eva hikevalam, a waste of time. Right? It's like, and we've given the example before, that's like the doctor who has fantastic bedside manners, but never gives you the medicine. <laughs> right? Um, Okay, so we are going on to verse 12. When Kardama Muni actually realized the Supreme Personality of God in person, so he has this personal darshan, uh, he was greatly satisfied because his transcendental desire was fulfilled. He fell on the ground with his head bowed to offer obeisances. That's an austerity, paying obeisances is an austerity. Uh, offer obeisances unto the lotus feet of the Lord. His heart, naturally full of love of God, with folded hands, he satisfied the Lord with prayers. So now we get into his prayers. Text 13. The great sage Kardama said, O supreme worshipful Lord, my power of sight is now fulfilled, having attained the greatest perfection of the sight of you, who are the reservoir of all existences. Through many successive births of deep meditation, advanced yogis aspire to see your transcendental form. Oh, by the way, it reminded me, does anyone know that verse? Um, it has the word Kim in it a lot. And it basically says, uh, what's the use of austerities? If you remember Krishna, if you're always remembering Krishna, what is the need for austerities? If you're never remembering Krishna, what's the use of, right? do you know that verse? 
Yeah, if anyone can find it. If anyone can find it. It's one of those uh, great verses um, if you don't want to perform austerities. <laughs> There's a few like that. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll read you one other one. Um, you know, they have to be taken properly, but my do here's one from the 11th canto. I was going to read this in chapter in when we get to verse 16, but I'll read it now because we're kind of on it. My devotees should remain happy and worship me with great faith and conviction. Even though he is sometimes engaged in sense enjoyment, my devotee knows that all sense gratification leads to a miserable result and he sincerely repents such activities. Okay, so we're back to verse 13. Uh, purport, the personality of God is described here as a reservoir of all goodness and all pleasure. Unless one is situated, again, we've, we've talked about that before, the idea of a reservoir. Right? You, you live very close to a reservoir. Right? If anyone's driven on MacArthur Boulevard, the reservoir is there. Right? So it's supposed to be the idea that the place where all the water comes from, right? the reservoir. So here, so Krishna is a reservoir of all goodness and all pleasure. See, our mind, when it's affected by passion and ignorance, thinks other things are the source of pleasure. When we're in goodness or in Krishna consciousness, then we actually understand, no, our connection with Krishna, we're connecting, plugging in with that reservoir. Unless one is situated in the mode of goodness, there is no real pleasure. Have we, are we convinced of that sentence? What is mode of goodness? Okay, well, that's a long discussion, but it's, uh, it's, well, it's easy. It's Satvaguna. Next question. No. Um, it's one of, the mode, one of the three modes, but it's the mode that uh, is uh, characterized by illumination, by knowledge, by peacefulness, sama, dhamma, tapa, socham, uh, control of the senses, control of the mind, uh, cleanliness, truthfulness, uh, etc. If you make your bed in the morning, you're in the mode of goodness. At least it's a good start. <laughs> if your bed is a mess and, you know, you know uh, uh, avocado halves around on a plate next to your bed from three days ago, not the mode of goodness. <laughs> Some other mode. Does that help? <laughs> okay. So, um, so and, and Krishna says, sattva sanjayate jnanam. From the mode of goodness, knowledge comes. From the mode of goodness, happiness comes. But how attracted are we to happiness in the mode of passion? Attraction is more, right, right, right. Uh, when, therefore, one's body, mind, and activities are situ situated in the service of the Lord. Now, that's transcendental goodness, service to the Lord. Uh, then uh, one is on the highest perfectional stage of goodness. And then a little later, the perfection of the senses is to engage in the service of the Lord. So just if you really think about it, if you close your eyes and you think about what this body is, it's mainly, the thing that we focus on the most is our senses, right? Our eyes to see, our nose to smell, our tongue to taste and to speak, our ears to hear, 
that's what this body is basically. And then, of course, there's the, uh, those are the knowledge-acquiring senses, and there's the working senses, the legs, the hands, etc. Right? That's what this body is. It's made of these senses. So the perfection of the senses is to engage those senses in the service of the Lord. Just one second, then we'll... Okay. The sense of sight, when engaged in seeing the beauty of the Lord, is perfected. And you can see how beautiful the, uh, the Pajari stress the deities today. When, therefore, one's body, mind, and activities are situated in the service of the... Oh, no, I'm reading the wrong thing, sorry. Um, the power to hear when engaged in hearing the glories of the Lord is perfected. The power of taste when one enjoys by eating prasad is perfected. When all the senses that we have are engaged in relationship with the Lord, one's perfection is technically called bhakti yoga, which entails detaching the senses from material indulgence and attaching them to the service of the Lord. When one is free from all designated conditioned life and fully engaged in the service of the Lord, one's service is called Bhakti Yoga. Prabhu, give a microphone? Uh, yeah, oh, you have I, one. I was just going to say that the July-August edition of the Back to Godhead magazine this year has an article on the three modes of material nature, which uh, gives like a good summary. Good summary. Oh, okay, of, thank you. you know, so that may be good reading starting. Yeah, thank you for that. So you see this idea is, it's, I don't know, at least I don't think about it enough that this body is really senses. And so what I'm really meant to do is engage all these different senses that I have in Krishna's service. And then that's called bhakti yoga. And the, the, the kicker, or the real important thing, is that Krishna has senses. Transcendental senses. He's a person. Because really, personhood, you can say in one sense, sorry, play on words there, uh, no pun intended, is having senses. And this is what's so uh, unfortunate about a mayavadi or an impersonal understanding, because you devoid the, the Lord of being the, the ability or the right to have senses. He just has transcendental senses. And so what he tastes is not exactly the, you know, the um, uh, sour cream sabji that we make for him, <laughs> but the bhakti that it's made with and offered with. And his senses are really cool, because angani yasya sakalendriya vritimanti, they can be interchangeable. We can't do that. We can't put a potato in our ears, <laughs> or whatever. Yes. So are you saying with full authority that God is a entity? Yes, like because full authority. Not my authority, but Shastra yeah. authority. Yes, yes, and, that's, and it's a little hard to wrap our head around that, because we, we, even, even if we're from India, sometimes we hear people speaking uh, about God ultimately being an energy and not a person. But, the, but Krishna clearly says, for example, in the 14th chapter, he says, Brahmano hi pratisht aham. Aham means I. Pratishta means the basis, and Brahman means, in this sense, the impersonal feature. And he says, Brahmanohi Pratishtaham, I'm the basis, me, Krishna says. You know? And so when he says, Manmana Bhavambadbhakto Madhyajimam Namaskru, Mami Vaisasi, he's, he's using the word mum, which means me. He's pointing to his chest, me, not the impersonal, me. <laughs> so Krishna is a person, 
and we're persons. And we don't merge into him when we attain perfection. We, we keep two, the live, us and God, but we have a relationship of love. And that's what's explained in the Bhagavad Gita, that's what's explained in the Srimad Bhagavatam. That all right? So, any thoughts about senses? Does it make sense? <laughs> Sorry. Two bad jokes in a row. So, yes, uh, again, coming back to where the senses have to be properly engaged, and we also have the reference of sadhu, guru, and shastra. So it's always, you know, they help us. Shastra is, of course, the scriptures, the bona fide scriptures, as you uh, nicely explained. Basis, yeah. Yes. And then sometimes just having shastra scriptures, you, know, you need a guru to really help you understand what's in the shastra. Because you could take it in so many different ways. Right. And then the devotee association is paramount afterwards to help you build up that faith and grow on that faith. We, we need the example of someone who's actually doing it. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, it just remains theoretical. Yes. So, Srila Prabhupada means again, he provided a lot of that. Means he provided constant association to his disciples. And like the example we covered earlier on sacrifice, means he was checking every time to make sure that the devotees are on the right path and their understanding is correct. So, yeah, again, he, he set the example. I mean, who else, you know? You know, comes, at, comes to America at 70 years old, with no money in his pocket, and two heart attacks on the boat, and yeah. no support, name of one person in Butler, Pennsylvania. Yes. Yeah, that's the kind of person you want to follow, isn't it? You know, person, obviously, there's nothing in it for himself. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. nothing yes. He could have just, anyone, especially if you know what Brindavan was like in, in the 60s, it was a really nice place. Yes. You know, and he had such a, I mean, you know, it was austere, it was simple, but he had this beautiful room in Radhadamadar Temple right next to these gorgeous deities and right in the heart of spiritual world. And, you know, he takes off for New York. And not just New York, you know, he goes, he goes, you know, he ends up in the Bowery, which is, at that time, now it's up, it's upscale, it's gentrified. But in those days, you know, like, my mother would always say, don't even think, I, I grew up in New York, you know, she would tell me what parts of Manhattan I could go to and what parts I couldn't. And clearly, you can absolutely forget about the Bowery and what was called uh, Bedford-Stuyvesant, you know, those places, you know, you're definitely gonna get mugged or worse, <laughs> you know, so, and then where did Prabhupada end up? The Bowery, <laughs> walking over uh, drunk uh, people who were, you know, uh, homeless uh, in order to get into where he was staying. So he had no, n you know, nothing in it for himself whatsoever. Nothing in it. Only doing it out of, out of devotion. So I just wanted to connect it to the verse we were looking for. It's uh, Canto 1, chapter 18, verse 13. Tulyam lavena pi na sorgam na punar bhavan bhagvat sangi sangi samitya naam ke mutashisha that was, uh, and he just happens to have it on his computer. Yes. The value of a moment's association with the devotee of the Lord cannot even be compared to the attainment of heavenly planets or liberation from matter, and what to speak of worldly benedictions in the form of material prosperity, which are for those who are meant for death. Correct. Very good. Any other thoughts on senses?
It's, a, it's an interesting meditation. Just think, okay, what, how have I served Krishna with my eyes today? How have I served Krishna with my nose today? How have I served Krishna with my tongue today? How have I served Krishna with my ears today? The tongue is easy, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you, you, can, uh, you can offer it nicely. You can just say, Om Tat Sat, thanks a lot. <laughs> and, uh, and eat it, right? Or, you know, Sairad Vijajal Premirako Chaitanunitai. Or what was that other one? Started off before you all, now I'm going to eat it all. You know. <laughs> so, or, or what is it? Instead of love and devotion, you offer it with lust and commotion. You know, so there's, there's, there's different things that you can, uh, you can even do improperly with your tongue. Yeah. What is? Ambarish used all of his senses. Yes, he walked, he walked to the temple and yeah. He did the whole nine yards, or the whole nine um, angas of bhakti all at once. Yeah. Yeah, so think about that. Think about the, this point, because this point, I don't, we don't talk about it a lot, but, this, but it's, it's in Prabhupada's books a lot. Or he uses that, uh, that quote from the Padma Purana, Hrishikena, Hrishikesha, Sevanam. So you engage your senses in the owner of the senses. That's the whole meditation. You know, we say, we can, it's so easy to quote verses, yeah, Rishikena, Rishikesha, Sevena, Bhakti, Uchite. Um, but think about it. Think about, you know, have I engaged my senses in Krishna's service? When am I not engaging my senses? You know, in Krishna's service. Like that. Okay. We're almost done with this chapter. <laughs> Only 50 more verses. <laughs> no. Um, text 14, and the next verse that we're going to look at is 6, no, 15. Yeah, all these are connected, right? Uh, your lotus feet, he's continuing, are the true vessel to take one across the ocean of mundane nescience. Only persons deprived of their intelligence by the spell of the deluding energy will worship those feet with a view to attain the trivial and momentary pleasure of the senses, which even persons rotting in hell can attain. However, O oh my Lord, you are so kind that you bestow mercy upon them. So this is really interesting, these next few verses. Because here he's saying, you know, why would you ever want to approach the Lord for anything material? And then he says, next verse. Therefore, desiring to marry a girl of like disposition, huh? I thought you just said, you know, whatever, only, <laughs> right? Who, who, may who may prove to be a veritable cow of plenty in my married life. Now, you better be careful, men. You might not want to call your future wife a veritable cow. She might not take it in the right way. Um, to satisfy my lustful desire, I too have sought the shelter of your lotus feet which are the source of everything, for you are like a desire tree. So the last verse said, don't approach the Lord for material things. And now he's saying, but yeah, I know, I just said that, but can you get me a nice girl? You know? So let's hear what Prabhupada says about this. Beginning of the purport. In spite of his condemning persons who approach the Lord for material advantages, Kardama Muni expressed his material inability and desire before the Lord by saying, although I know that nothing material should be asked for from you, 
because he's seeing the Lord face to face. I nevertheless desire to marry a girl of like disposition. So this is an honest devotee here, right? You say, I know I, you know, I know it's not the best thing in the world, but yeah, okay. And now probably gets into a little bit about this uh, compatibility. He says, the phrase, the phrase like disposition is very significant. Formerly, boys and girls of similar dispositions were married. The similar natures of the boy and girl were united in order to make them happy. Not more than 25 years ago, and perhaps it is still current, parents in India used to consult the horoscope of the boy and girl to see whether there would be factual union in their psychological conditions. So we can get into a whole thing about, you know, whether how accurate psychology is and things like that. I don't think it's accurate because this, uh, my astrologer told me, me, uh, told me that my wife and I would be compatible. Uh, Anyway, uh, but, but the point is that, I, and I think but a lot of devotees do this in, in, um, in ISKCON still, if, you know, before uh, a marriage, even if it's not a quote-unquote arranged marriage, um, they'll check the astrology. I mean, it's, the idea being that, uh, and this comes up in a few places here, that one can be attracted sometimes, the initial attraction can be for the wrong reasons, right? So it's sometimes good to have people are a little bit more detached. Because when you're in the heat, when you're in the heat in the moment, you're not married and you see, and you, oh my God, you know, you boing, right? Uh, <laughs> um, it's, it's good to, uh, so of course, sometimes people marry, even people arrange marriage for the wrong reasons. Lots of times marriages, um, up until 100, 150 years ago, they weren't based on love. A lot of them were based on e economics and sometimes political, like um, Marie Antoinette, right? That was totally political, right? They were trying to make peace between, uh, where was she from? No, she went to France. She was Swedish, I think. Was it Swedish? Yeah, no, she went, she, she came to France to marry uh, Hen, one of those guys, George, Henry, Peter, Paul, Mary, I don't you know. George Ringo, I don't, can't remember who it was, <laughs> but one of those people. <clears throat> uh, and it was totally a, uh, it was a, you know, yeah, so, yeah. But the idea is that, you know, well-meaning well parents want the best for their children and try to arrange things. It, of course, it's been total, like it, we all know, it's been corrupted very much. You open up the Hindu stand times on Sunday, and it's all about, you know, the, the complexion of the girl, how, you know, lighter skin is and whether she has a degree or not. And, right, you know, um, you know uh, Punjabi boy looking for a Punjabi girl ready to move, green card already arranged, you know, whatever, right? You know, must have master's degree or higher, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, there's all that sort of stuff going on for all the wrong reasons today. Uh, but the, that was the idea. You know, and, and I could, like, my marriage was arranged. Um, and, you know, so far so good, despite the jokes. Um, but semi-arranged, you know, we were introduced to each other and decided. Because um, it says here, if one has a next paragraph, if one has a nice wife, he is to be considered a most fortunate man. Most fortunate man. I'm going to make sure I tell Chum in that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 
And then in the next, okay, so uh, the next paragraph gets into this, this other philosophical point. Kardamamuni could have asked his benediction from Uma, right? Uh, for it is recommended in scriptures that if anyone wants a good wife, he should worship Uma. But he preferred to worship the Supreme Personality of Godhead because it is recommended in the Bhagavatam that everyone, whether he is full of material, full of desires, has no desires or desires liberation, should worship the Supreme Lord. That's from the second canto. Of these three classes of men, one tries to be happy by fulfillment of material desires, another wants to be happy by becoming one with the Supreme, and another, the perfect man, is a devotee. He does not want anything in return from the personality of Godhead. He only wants to render transcendental loving service. In any case, everyone should worship the Supreme Personality of Godhead, for he will fulfill everyone's desire. The advantage of worshiping the Supreme Person is that even if one has desires for material enjoyment, if he worships Krishna, he will gradually become a pure devotee and have no more material hankerings. So, there's different levels, and what's so nice is that it's, it's not one size fits all, right? There's different levels of Krishna consciousness. You know, we know people come to the temple sometimes, and, you know, they're, uh, they're praying for whatever, the health of their grandmother or, their, you know, their son's SAT scores or whatever, right? Uh, it is. And it's not perfect, but at least they're approaching the Lord. And Krishna talks about this in the Gita, in the seventh chapter. Right? He says that, that you, know, you approach Krishna for different reasons. He says, he knows, he's God, he's the one everyone's approaching, right? So who would be a better, <laughs> who would know better than the, guy, the person who's getting all the people coming to see him all the time, right? Uh, and he says, people approach me because they're in distress, because they're desiring wealth, because they're kind of inquisitive, or some, the more pure desires, because they just want to know about the absolute, right? Uh, but he calls all of them sukritina, pious, because at least they're going to the right, they're going to the right source. You know? And gradually, they make advancement. And so Prabhupada, will, he has this challenge as an author uh, and as a, common, a person commenting on the Vedic literature to present that side of things, but to have the reader understand also the ultimate goal and to not just be satisfied, you know, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz, right? Um, but that's okay, but in, okay, at least you're approaching the Lord for that, right? You know, whereas at the same time, the goal is, Krishna, how can I serve you? Boss, that's my only desire. But, he, but the Vedas do talk about this, so, the, so Srila Prabhupada as a perfect Acharya mentions it, but then he always is reminding us, and... So here, Kardama, he's, he's mentioning uh, both, right? He's saying, yes, pure devotion. Then he's saying, yeah, but, but uh, you know, yes and. <laughs> like that, he's, he's mentioning both. Any thoughts on this? Yes, Raghunath. It's, it's a very practical instruction as a practicing devotee because many times the tendency comes to enforce this on others. Really? Yeah, like... You, you have material desires, oh, you should be, practice should be pure. And it's like, it, it's in subtle ways like we force others that, but this makes it very clear. And the, that verse you quoted from Bhagavad Gita where Krishna accepts all these four kinds of people as his devotees. Right. And 
to be very gentle and lenient with others rather yes. than being fanatical and we do it a lot to our kids jai sri sigornitai sitaram lakshman hanuman shishi radhamadan mohan right we do it we do it to our kids you know we think now i chanted 50 rounds you better be pure you know uh you know and we expect, we expect them to be you know but it's they're also they have their own karma they have their own relationship with krishna and you know it it's 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 between them and krishna of course we try to guide them but we do sometimes like you know often at least i know myself and my son don't do as i do do as i say <laughs> doesn't work you know he's got this and the huge antenna uh, hypocrisy antenna going up really really uh strong you know um so yes it's it's it, main thing is that we show by example hopefully how happy we are even cuz even the endeavor of trying to overcome our material desires is wonderful is glorious and we were trying to do that you know um people uh will see that and get inspiration yeah thank you other thoughts yes uh so hypocrisy you said right yeah so i, I embody uh, that and and i'm probably i mean when you when you start this journey uh, like when you kind of are at the very beginning you are a baby mm -hmm. so you i mean somewhere within you get a feeling am i a hypocrite by right am i a hypocrite yeah and mm -hmm. you don't really know because you know um you don't know if, I, i i mean you just told that god is a person yes right? i didn't know before that uh. yes so, so how do you know if uh, i mean you get you know that you're a feeling hypocrite? from <laughs> um don't worry people will tell you no <laughs> <laughs> um especially if you have children or a wife <laughs> um but we also you know krishna is in our heart as a one of his expansions is as super soul he's actually in our heart so we generally get a little tap on the shoulder uh, as long as we don't think you know i'm a great devotee i'm god's gift to the, you know if we if we're in the mindset that i'm learning right and all of us should be in that mindset that you know we should be uh, adult eternal learners and uh that the the example is given of the uh person who founded aikido the martial art i gave this example before and when he died he has to be buried with a white belt the white belt is a beginner and he was the master he was the highest black belt there was but he was trying to show something to his disciples like that so if we're in that mood of learning and uh being respectful if person is respectful and ready to learn they 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 it's they won't be um a hypocrite they won't because uh we can say i understand that i should be there i'm here right now so that's honest but honesty doesn't say i'm here right now and i'm not going to do a darn thing about it <laughs> honesty would be i'm here now and let me try to inch my way up and work on it make advancement tk okay so we uh, didn't finish this chapter as you may have noticed um but uh we will continue next week um on sh 
verse 16. So if you did the readings, you don't have any homework assignments for this week. And if you haven't done the readings, you're a hypocrite. No. <laughs> uh, no, but please, please do them. Okay, have a really nice Krishna conscious uh, week.